Thank you for joining the Changing and Construction podcast designed to give you exclusive access to some of the biggest and best names in the industry talking about how they address the challenges faced on a day-to-day basis. Welcome to episode four. Uh, my name is Jacob Wardrop from Mail Manager, um, the Outlook add-in developed by Arup to help companies get control of their email. I'm joined by my colleague Chris. Hello. And uh, Paul Wilkinson. Hello. Um, So on these episodes, for those who have listened, they'll know that we try to talk about topics which can help take construction businesses to the next level. And today's no different, where we're talking about digital transformation. So uh, we're delighted to have Paul Wilkinson here. Um, Paul, why don't you kind of provide us with an introduction to, you know, who you are and um, kind of why you're relevant to this topic, really? All right. I describe myself as one-third technology consultant, uh, one-third writer, blogger, and journalist, uh, one-third PR and marketing. And in all of those roles, it's all about construction technology for me. Um, I'm also an industry activist, so I'm involved with bodies including Constructing Excellence, the Institution of Civil Engineers. Um, I'm a past chair of the Construction and Property Group at the CIPR. And probably most pertinent to this conversation, I'm involved with the UK BIM Alliance, with Think BIM, and with the Construction Innovation Body Comet. Okay, brilliant. So I think a good place to start for the podcast would be a high-level introduction to digital transformation relating to construction. Okay. My starting point when uh, I talk to audiences about digital transformation is the need to do so. Uh, McKinsey the consultancy organization, did an analysis of different industries' levels of uh, digitization. And there are two or three international variants of this report. The American one puts construction one stage above agriculture and hunting. The European version puts construction rock bottom. Uh, It's worst for digital interactions. It's worst for digital transactions. yeah, you know, th- there is only one direction to go when you're bot- when you're bottom, and that's to move move your performance up. And it's obviously becoming a more topical debate. We discussed um, off air how you'd you'd been involved in a number of events around the, the theme of digital transformation, which was gaining traction um, and appeared to be to be to be popular. You know, from from an in- industry point of view, what practical examples do you think there's uh, there's been which has which has I suppose brought this on to the agenda for construction businesses? Um, we've seen years of reports um, that have highlighted. The industry's low levels of productivity, low margins, uh, poor profitability, um, and digit and poor digitization. Uh, low levels of digitization is part of that. Um, the movements forward have included um, the emergence of cloud-based solutions. I- I've worked in that sector for twenty years um, with different vendors over time. And then if we look at the last decade, um, the emergence of BIM has been uh, a hot topic for uh, since, since 2011. And we started also more recently perhaps to see new buzzwords emerge, um, things like digital twin. 
Okay. No, I think that's um, that's a, a, a really good point. And uh, in a previous episode, we, we spoke with Rob Charlton of Space Group on the topic of digital twin and the, the kind of problems which it which it solves. Um, one thing which came up there was the examples around the, like the Carillion uh, kind of um, disaster, if, if, if you like, as well as uh, Mark Farmer's Modernize or Die uh, report. For, for those who, I suppose, um, particularly the latter, kind of ha- haven't been involved or haven't 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 read that. Do you think they help explain how the industry's allowed itself to get into this position? I think Mark Farmer in particular um, is very clear in uh, his analysis of what's wrong with the industry. He highlights 10 symptoms of an underperforming industry. He talks about the high levels of fragmentation, talks about poor leadership, talks about the systemic issues there are with low margins. There are demographic issues about an ageing workforce and, and skill shortages. And one of the symptoms uh, he highlights is it's low levels of uh, adoption uh, of technology and low levels of innovation. And clearly, you know, it, it's, he sees the opportunities that come from better use of technologies like BIM and better use of data. So just talking about leadership there um i'd be keen to get your thoughts on who should actually own digital transformation and any tips that you've you've got for um how construction companies can better embrace change who should own digital transformation in a company or who should own digital transformation on a project both right in a company um you're going to need a uh, adoption of a digital approach across the company from top to bottom um, it can't be imposed from the top um, it can't be just allowed to bubble up from the bottom it needs a combination of both yeah. if you're then talking about project teams then the driver in many cases um, to make real change happen um, has to come from the client because if the client pushes for a digital project um, the project team has little option but to move down that route if they want to retain the favour of that client. That's a really interesting point, and I think one of the things which comes up a lot when people talk about um, BIM and digital transformation and digital twins are some really big and quite um, outlandish promises around, you know, it, it can help reduce costs by 80% on a project, which tends to lose lose people i think it'd be helpful to talk through i suppose some of the practical aspects yeah and how digital transformation could change how projects are traditionally delivered in in the uk yeah i think the um the prospect of bim changing the industry is sometimes uh, exaggerated the, the reality is that we've actually got to change a lot of industry processes uh we've got to change some of the people uh, uh how, how they work within the sector. Um, procurement is a key area here. Um, if we're procuring in the traditional way on a lowest price basis, and we're procuring a very fragmented supply chain, we are, as a consequence, recruiting uh, a, a group of companies, all of whom have interfaces and contracts to deal with. That's multiple transactions, both, a, both at a contractual level, but also information transactions. And that all adds friction to the process. It doesn't create value for the end client every time you've got to contract with a new firm and manage invoicing and everything else. Where's the value add for the client in that? So BIM is part of a process that requires a rethinking of how we do business 
not just how we how we how we design or, or how we build a project i think that's a really good way of kind of outlining how this uh, as you say how this applies to more than more than more than just a project as well as more than just just modeling i think um my hope and aim for something like digital transformation is it is it kind of extends the conversation to business processes rather than just modeling and collaboration yes um kind of how picking on the example of Carillion because whenever a big contractor tends to encounter difficulties you know the, the instant reaction is to look at the kind of symptoms and, and why why that's happened um, my question is kind of how do you think those large contractors in the industry you know failing is how do you feel their or those failures are linked to this topic I think the the, the opportunity that comes from digital transformation is to improve uh, business processes uh, make firms more more productive which is the you know the, the 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 ratio between how much time it takes to put to complete a particular task and how many people are involved versus how much people get paid to do it the, the reality is that traditional contracting is a very low margin business and any project that gets into difficulties um, where productivity drops means that very quickly um, those low margins leave little margin for error and a major project and Carillion was involved in two or three major projects all of which went a little bit pear-shaped at roughly the same time means that suddenly that company is no longer uh, financially resilient um, and starts to um, starts to um, put risks um, in place that the clients no longer want to uh, to stomach yeah, I mean, it, it certainly feels like um, the industry in the past has kind of repeated the same mistakes around procurement and, and over an overemphasis on cost. You know, when it when it when, when it comes when it comes to that, but also kind of repeating the same the same processes. What do you think of what what opportunities do you think digital transformation represents for uh, you know for your your for your your kind of medium sized main contractor, for example? I think BIM opens up an opportunity to have a much more meaningful conversation with um, uh, clients and ultimately also the end user of the built asset. So you start to relate what the um, built asset is going to deliver to that client. And BIM as a process, it, it works towards um, the delivery of the client's end requirements. Um, so expectations are set about budget, about the program, and most particularly about what the building has to offer in terms of building or built asset has to offer in terms of features, in terms of the information that the owner operator is going to need to use to, to operate and maintain it throughout its operational life. So you've got a very clear uh, definition of the brief, and then you've got a structured process that a team can work through from those uh, inf early information requirements through through a BIM execution plan, through the adoption of other digital technologies, um, because BIM on its own is is um, you know is only part of an ecosystem of technologies. Um, so you're starting then to work through a structured process, which hopefully um, creates a more greater certainty in the process. Um, avoids mistakes, um, gives early warning of any problems, 
um, and eliminates, hopefully, some of the mistakes that lead to costly rework, project delays, cost overruns, defects, and all the other issues which, unfortunately, are endemic in other, uh, in other sectors of the, of the marketplace. Yeah, you mentioned certainty in processes there, but with things like Carillion, um, financial restrictions and uncertain marketplaces, do you think the speed of adoption and the likeliness to actually em- embrace digitization is as high as it could be? Or like, wh- where do you see the attitudes towards digital transformation at the moment? I think we've suffered from decades of underinvestment in digital working. Um, IT is often seen as an overhead. Yeah. And as an industry, we underinvest in IT. Um, if you compare investment in IT in construction with other sectors, on average, it's about 1% of revenue. Whereas if you look at manufacturing, it's three or four times as high. And advanced manufacturing, it's almost 10 times higher. Those are much more profitable sectors, partly because they've invested in the digital way of doing things. Whilst we continue to see IT as an overhead and not as an enabler, we're going to continue to have these problems. And how do you think this is relevant to the, I suppose, the traditional way in construction of design and manufacture? Because we're seeing a big increase in the demand for modular modular building and off uh, and, and off-site construction, for for example. I mean, Mark Farmer is a champion uh, of modern methods of construction. He's taken on a new role um, for government in in that role very recently. Um, His view is that uh, bespoke design of every single project is not a productive way forward. Adopting greater standardisation, working with manufacturers at an early stage so that what used to be Uh, manpower-hungry, resource-hungry on-site processes are moved into a factory-type environment has to be a better way forward. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really uh, kind of good and valid point because I know there'll be people listening here, kind of thinking, "Where's my business going to be in the next in the next ten years?" Kind of thing. Um, now, there'll be naturally some traditional objections to the topic of digital transformation, and I know from speaking to people in the BIM community, for example, that there's a sort of feeling that well, we haven't addressed addressed BIM yet, for example, for fully, you know, or satisfactorily. Yeah. So, what what would you say to to, to um, that that area? We've got a, um, a hu- we've got a very wide continuum in, in terms of adoption of BIM in the UK. At the highest level, we've got firms which are well advanced in their digital transformation. They're, they're moving towards what in old um, terminology would have been BIM level three, towards the digital built Britain vision of a much more connected way of delivering projects. But at the other end of the scale, we've got lots of proje- uh, lots of project teams lots of companies for whom BIM is still new, it's still novel, and in some cases they haven't even started. And as a result, you know, and, and in between there's lots of firms who are at various different stages. I think we're still at the stage where maybe one third of the industry is well advanced, but two thirds are not. We need to reach the stage where two thirds of the industry are well advanced. So if you had to say one thing, what do you think is the biggest obstacle to digital transformation? I think in many cases, it's adherence to the old ways of doing things. It's inertia. We we have people who have, in many cases, reached high levels in in the firms that they work for by delivering projects in a traditional way. Um, They've worked on a 
in a paper-based environment. They've been reliant upon spreadsheets and um, paper-based documents. Even if they had electronic deliverables, we're still spending a lot of time moving that information backwards and forwards. And there's a lot of pride in some cases, misplaced, um, in um, riding to the rescue if a project gets into trouble. The reality should be we should be identifying issues early enough that a project never gets into trouble and we should be rewarding the well-planned project which is delivered on time. And I think that's where the clients are going to be looking increasingly um, at firms which have the track record of delivering projects on time to budget and uh, <coughs> to the required levels of quality. Because digital working gives us ways to measure the outcomes and to reward the suppliers that deliver those outcomes yeah i know i know something which a lot of uh, clients are talking about at the moment is being able to measure the, the life cycle cost of an asset for example whereas i think historically the industry's talked about the life cycle cost of a, of a project for example there'll be some uh, contractors and like you say not not all of the industries fully embraced and adopted bim um and on, along that line really there'll be some uh, people in the industry who think kind of what's what's the point of of digital transformation it's just another another buzzword which is going to kind of come come and go and it's only relevant for your, your, t- your tier ones um, how, how do you think we can overcome or someone in a business can overcome that kind of um, skepticism I think um, the the subtitle of Mark Farmer's report gives it away it's modernize or die um, if you do not digitize if you do not modernize your business you do not rethink your procurement approaches your approaches how you recruit people to how you invest in technology in your businesses how you work with your supply chain all of those changes have to take place if, if they take place will equip a firm for working in the 21st century persisting with 20th century approaches um, is a recipe for disaster and it's one of the reasons that we've seen firms like Carillion get into trouble we've had for other firms go into administration uh, almost every week another major firm another well-known name um, goes to the wall this is partly um, to do with the endemic issues in the industry um, so firms do have in my view little option but to modernize or die and what do you think clients are demanding in this area, which makes the topic um, a necessity rather than a, a rather than a um, you know an option? We're starting to see some government clients now being encouraged to procure projects on a best whole life value basis. Even the Construction Leadership Council has published a report on re- on procuring for value. When you've got clients who are demanding a value driven approach. Uh, it puts the onus upon the contractors, the designers, the suppliers to be thinking about um, how they deliver that value, how they can be lean, how they can um, d- uh, deliver a high-value product that delivers what the client wants. In the, um, and they do that on the, on, uh, with the knowledge that the client will be able to m- monitor what's going on and will be able to measure the outcomes and I think, you know, this is the sort of, um, there's the element of carrot and stick about this approach. You know, they'll reward those who deliver well, but um, those who fail to deliver um, will find themselves being dropped, will find themselves no longer amongst the favoured shortlist to work on, on a customer's projects. 
I see. So the businesses who um, business the businesses who are not really addressing or thinking about how they handle for areas like procurement, manufacture, or typical construction methods are going to struggle to meet the demands of a client who's asking for a you know a smarter building, for example. Absolutely. Uh, I mean the um, the shifts that we're seeing towards um, digital twins, for example. Um, they're a continuation of um, recent trends on smart buildings and smart cities. Um, when you've got clients who are increasingly demanding a more sophisticated product, then um, the ability of firms to deliver that is, is in relatively short supply. Only the key supplier, uh, you know, on, only the most innovative suppliers are going to be able to push forward in those areas, and they'll be the ones that are favoured by those demanding clients. So if you were to give some practical advice to someone looking to raise digital transformation as a topic uh, within their business, what advice would you give? I think they need to evaluate where their business is in the start for, uh, for a start. Um, there may be pockets of good practice that they can build on. When they can identify an opportunity, maybe they should also be talking with their customers. They need to be client-driven in this. What is it that their client wants? So an understanding of what they can deliver and what the client is also, what their clients are also asking for are, are, are fundamental. Then I think when you've got that understanding, you can start by maybe starting small. You know, a small project, a pilot project, test that out, see how it um, galvanizes people within the firm and what the impacts are upon other stakeholders, client, supply chain. Um, and if the results are positive, then expand, move on, iterate again, and uh, gradually make the changes uh, more permanent and, and more uh, penetrating across the business. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I know people who have who will naturally, I suppose, go uh, and aim aim for a big, big change. You know, the topic of digital transformation. You know, it says transformation in itself. So I think it's tempting to uh, try and deliver this sort of total, complete, complete project. Um, and it's a really good point around speaking to clients because I think naturally we'll talk to inter we'll talk to internal colleagues first and more than than clients. I can see how in the short term. Trying trying new methods such as this on a on a on a pilot project, for example, can can translate and be quite easy to implement. We discussed previously topics like platform platform design, which I think could potentially benefit the industry more in the medium term. What what's your take on that? Um, I mean, by platform design, you mean just you want uh, so um, mm. so sorry, kind of. Yeah. Uh, I suppose traditionally, how we've always uh, we've always worked on a just-in-time basis yeah. uh, in terms of materials being being delivered to site, and I was kind of interested in uh, how, how you saw a vision of a slightly better better world, a better way of doing things. Yeah, I mean, we we have a an industry where where many projects are delivered. Um, often on a greenfield or a brownfield site. We've got, we bring lots of people to site, lots of materials, and we assemble them all in, in the one place. Uh, lots of wet processes, it's very weather dependent, and you know, there are lots of risks involved. Um, new approaches, um, design for manufacture and assembly, for example, um, they relocate some of those um, time-sensitive uh, assembly um, processes into a factory type environment where quality can be uh, more assured, where you've got people working in warmer, safer conditions, um, and where the delivery of the completed components or systems to site can be achieved with greater certainty 
and more and also with greater cost certainty as well. And are there other countries who are further advanced in this area than the UK, would you say? Um, we've seen, um, for example, Germany and Scandinavia adopting modular approaches to delivering um, housing projects. But some of the, you know, the, the YouTube examples, there are some great videos of people assembling uh, multi-storey buildings in China and going up at two or three floors a day by adopting this kind of, of modular uh, wow. off-site approach. And site data capture is another topic which comes up from time to time because I still think and we still see a lot of hard copy on site and site managers being asked to do kind of, I suppose, administration which they're not naturally uh, that proficient at. And, it, you know, it's potentially, you know, you could argue isn't isn't part of their role and isn't kind of what they enjoy. Um, and I think there's some main contractors who have invested in, you know, C- CDE systems, which we which we know can help in this in this area. But there's, there's still a lot of hard copy on on site. Would you say that represents, you know, one of the potential kind of quick quick wins? It's one of the big opportunities. Um, construction was amongst the earliest adopters of mobile phones. Yeah. Um, the advent of smartphones 10 years or so ago has really shifted the uh, uh, opportunity f- even further forward. In many cases, we have people who are on site who have better connectivity and better functionality on their mobile devices than they have uh, on their desktop machines. So. Um, when you look at how common data environments have increasingly incorporated mobile technologies in, uh, to support on-site teams, you know th- there are some big opportunities. You might have people who are very resistant initially because they're used to working with um, note- notebooks and so on. Um, but I, I've shadowed somebody on a construction site who was initially a skeptic about mobile technology. But as soon as he was given a, a mobile application to use, it meant that he didn't have to go back to the site office to issue new instructions, to notify suppliers of quality issues, to produce hot works permits or, or other documentation. He could do it all from his mobile device on site. And it meant that he spent more time on site doing what he loved and was more visible to the supply chain in his role um, as a consequence, so you know, it was a win-win for for everybody involved on that project. Yeah, I think it touches on a really good point as well because extranets, which have now kind of become common data, termed as common data environments, have been well established and you know they're, they're used on the majority of projects. I would argue. I do think that some businesses in the industry have taken a slightly kind of lazy approach to their own internal record keeping because the, the, the response and objection when you could and um, speak to people about site data capture is well, we have to do all that through the extranet anyway. But if the extranet doesn't have you know, our type of form or our type of record, they then end up reverting to hard copy, which just feels a complete waste of time. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I've worked on projects, um, talked to customers, talked to end users who, um, having initially worked on a project where um, they've used an extranet, a common data environment. They don't want to go back to the old way of doing things. Um, they look for their business to um, have a similar approach, maybe cloud-based um, file storage, um, digital access to information from mobile devices. They want that for their corporate 
um, systems, not just for the project-oriented um, systems. Yeah, and there's so many systems which are pretty cost-effective now, which allow you to design your own forms, capture your own data, um, which is just as just as important. So we'll um, we'll we'll be sure to share some of them in the in in the show notes. Um, I suppose rounding off, as we've got a couple of questions where we want to talk about, I suppose some of the trends trends which we see coming up or which you see coming up in the industry, and your kind of opinion on them. Uh, what if, as a good takeaway, I think it would be really useful to, I suppose, learn of of a practical example of uh, a practical example which you've seen uh, where digital transformation's been done effectively to you know to and, and delivered a return. A couple of examples spring to mind. Um, both of which um, have been driven by BIM. Uh, David, okay. David Miller Architects, um, firm based in London, took a strategic decision some years ago um, to move towards a BIM-enabled um, way of working. And as they um, adopted BIM across the bu- business, they found that they were winning better quality of work. They could de- deliver that work more effectively um, with fewer people. The quality of their earnings increased, their profit levels increased. They were able to win bigger and better projects as a result. Another firm up in the north of England, um, further consulting engineers called Adept, they had a similar approach. As a small business, I think it was only about five people um, eight or nine years ago, uh, took a decision, we're going to move down this BIM road. Um, they're now a 50-strong business. Wow. Now they're working very um, substantially in the in a BIM enabled environment because that they know that that help enables them to deliver um, better projects more cost effectively and and enable a more connected more joined up process of working with their customers and with the with their collaborators on a project. Uh, I mean, one question for me on on that before we go on to trends is from what you see. Um, where do you or what are the kind of things around the topic of BIM which you see businesses not doing which are actually quite simple to do? Um, I mean there's some simple things that people could do even from um, just on their mobile devices Um, you know that there are simple tools for um, capturing information on site there are um, apps hundreds of apps uh, out there um, yeah, and in some cases, it's about maybe um, applying um, the, the kinds of tools that people are used to in social media, for example, yeah. um, to enable real-time communication rather than reliance upon the, the sort of um, correspondence-type model. When you've got real-time messaging, there's a, there's a great opportunity to speed up decision-making and, and uh, uh, push a project forward more quickly. Yeah, so we've spoken a bit about mobile technology and applications. Um, in other industries and in the general news, there's been a lot made about um, smart cities, digital banking, uh, autonomous cars, and so on. When it comes to construction, what do you think are the biggest trends um, coming in the next two to three years? I'm seeing a lot of um, conversations now about um, reality capture. So we've got... Um, the, the use of laser scanning and drones and uh, techniques such as photogrammetry to capture uh, reality much more quickly. Um, so in some cases, replaying, uh, replacing the, the, the role of surveyors 
in doing in doing very onerous uh, measurement techniques you know automating a lot of that process and then using the data that's captured to feed into BIM uh, not only for initial design purposes but also for delivering as-built information um, so you've got drones you've got augmented reality um, you can also begin to look at um, the use of just the sheer volumes of data that we, we're collecting. You know, you, we've talked a little bit about extranets and common data environments. When you can aggregate lots of information across a client's projects, maybe multiple projects, um, you can start to use techniques such as artificial intelligence and machine learning to discern patterns, um, look at anomalies in the data and identify what connection they have to timely delivery or the emergence of defects and make sure that you, you, on the one hand you are, enabled, you are in, uh, enabling timely delivery of projects but on the other hand you're also avoiding those defects or avoiding health and safety issues arising because you've got early, um, an early warning system in place through the use of uh, techniques such as uh, machine learning. So going back to where the industry is today when you're talking about things like machine learning and, and AI, how well placed do you think the industry is now to embrace those um, emerging technologies? I think there are, it's a bit similar to the BIM, BIM question. We, we have some firms which are well down that route. They're, they're, they're uh, applying machine learning and, and artificial intelligence type approaches. They're working with vendors um, to en enable uh, new ways of working. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, new new type new vendor new applications um, emerging, which, if they gather um, uh, momentum, uh, you know, and start to become a market differentiator, um, it's it's back to this modernize or die thing. If if you're um, suddenly being beaten uh, on project performance by a firm which is using new technologies um, you've got you've got little option but to yeah. uh, follow suit o otherwise you'll find yourself lagging behind or or in some cases ruled out of projects because you don't have the competences there so it's not just about the technologies it's also about the people and I think there's an opportunity here also to be thinking about the skills that f firms are going to need to be resilient and that means uh, recruiting people who are technologically sophisticated. The digital natives that are coming into the industry now often hit the ground running um, compared to their senior colleagues who have had to change incrementally um, from a paper-based mentality um, to one which is more digitally enabled. Yeah, I think that's really, really valid. And some of the key takeaways from this discussion for, for me is, is A, that clients are starting to demand a smarter building of the future um, and, and how digital twins you know, is, is absolutely linked to that. I think it's really helpful to share some practical examples because I think around areas like BIM and digital transformation, all anybody sees is white papers from software companies trying to sell trying to sell their software. Yep. Uh, so I think I think showing the examples and talking about the examples of Adept Consulting and David Miller Architects, who are practicing in particular, who we know have sort of uh, led the way on the on the topic of of BIM, but also things like procurement and and manufacture, because I think the uh, the modernize or die message is a, is a is a really really valid one. But also because the industry is at quite a low level in this area. It probably represents opportunities for those who are kind of looking to 
to to to to get ahead. Um, my last question, really, because we've talked about what the industry tre- or industry trends are, and about the use of uh, VR and, and laser scanning, for example. Um, so they are the trends now. But what do you think should be the should be trends which come up and change in the next two to three years? Um, I spent uh, a day yesterday at the Open Data Institute event. Uh, lots of conversations there about open data. Um, one of the trends that I would like to see, uh, and it was flagged up by um, Volker Buscher from Arup, um, was the waste involved in delivering projects where we have to change file formats. And um, so every transfer of information seems to require uh, a costly uh, process of either converting files or cleaning data. Um, there's a big opportunity there by um, adopting more open formats, um, more open standards, and uh, improving the interoperability of our software solutions so that we don't need to change file formats, we don't need to clean data up, um, because none of that adds value to the ultimate client. You know, we, we should be looking at the ways in which we offer seamless flows of information so that information can be used right first time and we know it's accurate, we know that it's going to deliver what we want and it's delivered to us in the form that we want to use it uh, on the device we want to use it for um, um, and in the situation uh, on site or in the design office um, where we need it. So you know, uh, all of those uh, opportunities come from rethinking um, our approaches to what design or what construction deliverables we're talking about and making sure that the data is at the core of this. You know, sharing information and data more efficiently is fundamental to um, the whole digital transformation piece here. Yeah, I was looking through the Gemini principles, which I think I think apply to this, because as you say, everybody tends to do this kind of thing differently. Um, the final question from me really is, if there's any resources which you've read, used in the past, which you think are, are helpful and you would kind of direct someone someone to? Um, you mentioned the Gemini principles. They're, they're a very good set of... Um, uh, you know, there, there are nine areas focusing on, on, on trust and openness and security. They're, they're going to be guiding our thinking on digital twins um, for maybe decades to come. Um, if we're going back to the BIM area, um, I would advocate uh, a look at what the UK BIM Alliance has produced um, to support... Um, firms that want to work in accordance with ISO 19650 which is uh, so there are some frame there are some guidance documents on the UK BIM Alliance site which help firms understand uh, what they need to do um, to achieve compliance with those standards Um, so you know a couple of areas there yeah, we'll be sure to provide details of the Gemini principles and the UK BIM Alliance's ISO uh, guidance uh, in, in the show notes. Um, well, thanks for this, Paul. Really, really appreciate it. It's, it's great to have someone who's, uh, I suppose, um, a kind of independent to, to this and not affiliate, you know, not affiliated with a soft, software company, for example. I think it's really helpful to be able to kind of share, share your views. So um, thanks very much. And thank you for having me.